Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping. Out on the streets, the traffic starts jumping with folks like me on the job from nine to five. Working nine to five. In 1980, Dolly Parton's upbeat song, Nine to Five, quickly became an anthem for American office workers. Back then and up until 18 months ago, 9 to 5 with its traditional customs was how millions of Americans went to work. But COVID-19 upended tradition, forcing many of us out of the office and back home working remotely. That's been enough time for companies to see the pros and cons of remote work and to start crafting future of work plans. Many workers expected to return to the office this fall, but both the Delta variant and rising demand for remote jobs have made employers reconsider. How will employers and employees find a balance? And just what does the future of work look like locally and beyond? Later in the show, ready to go back into the office? More than a few people are saying no. They are um, not finding that opportunity at their current employer, and so they're looking for other opportunities. And one of the silver linings of the ongoing pandemic, I suppose, is that the opportunity to work remotely has greatly increased. Many employees have come to love working remotely during the pandemic and want to keep it that way. But what happens if their employers insist on one option in person? But first, joining me remotely, Brian Hancock, global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Nice to be with you. Glad to have you. Debbie Lovich, managing director and senior partner of Boston Consulting Group. Hi, Debbie. Hi, nice to be here. And Dina Upton, chief people officer at Drift, a software company with Boston headquarters that is fully embracing the remote work lifestyle. Welcome, Dina. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, let's just dive right in. Uh, Debbie, I'm going to start with you because you've said that it's not a chance that companies will return to fully in person and that the question is not how do we go back, but how do we go forward? Explain. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you think about it, the way we work today, pre-COVID, is just copying the Industrial Revolution, right? When people had to co-locate in factories and fixed time and place doing repetitive jobs. And when knowledge workers came in, we just kept that model. Instead, just like your opening song, which I love, workers doing defined jobs in cubicle fields from nine to five. And what COVID showed us over the past year and a half is that we don't necessarily need the long commutes, endless meetings, recurring meetings, silos, synchronous work, I mean, you name it. And employees 
will not go back. And so if an organization tries to go back to the way it was before that didn't make any sense, the employees are gonna vote with their feet and move. And we know there's a labor shortage right now. And so the power is in the hand of the employee. All right, Brian, you've said hybrid work will be a permanent change, similar to what Debbie is saying, but there will be variability in those roles. What do you mean? I think what we mean by that is there are going to be some roles where you may need to come into the office you know, once or twice a week. There may be some roles where you may come into the office once or twice a month, and there may be some that can be you know, totally remote. I think based on the nature of the work and the nature of the connectivity will define whether this is a, a fully in-person role, like in a manufacturing context, whether it's a couple times a week or whether it's one of those other options. So remote, really, when you say remote, you really need to be clear about what you mean. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dina of Drift, I am fascinated that you say you have onboarded actually more employees now than those who in your whole company that have worked in person. We have, we have. We are about 550 people, drifters across the globe, and we've onboarded now probably about 275, 280 people. So more people have been onboarded than they have stepped in our office, trained and, and onboarded to the drift way. So yes, that's true. We've, 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 um, we've brought more people virtually on board than we have in person. Hmm. Now, are you all surprised by what people are calling the big quit or the great resignation? Debbie? I'm not at all surprised. It goes back to what, you know, the three of us were saying that employees want something different. And there are trends out there that have been going on for a long time, right? The the distance in salary between the top earner and the bottom earner in an organization, um, the need to contort your lives around work instead of your work around lives. And so the pressure has been growing and I think COVID just accelerated all of that. Brian, tell me about the July survey that uh, your company did and what some of the highlights or perhaps even surprises there may have been in the results. Yeah, so, so in July, we launched a survey looking at the great attrition recognizing that you know since April, out of 11 million American workers have quit their jobs. And so we looked and said and asked in the survey, you know, what are you likely to do as employees going forward? And you know what are the reasons why you might leave your current job? And what we found is 40% of employees said that they are likely to leave their job in the next three to six months. And two thirds of those, would consider leaving without having another job in hand. What was behind that? Well, while there are some factors like compensation that do factor in, the majority of employees highlight the reasons for leaving being things like not feeling valued by their manager organization or not feeling like they belong is some of the primary reasons. It's those ties that have gotten weaker over the pandemic are some of the reasons why people are saying, well, I'm not connected to my organization. I don't feel valued. So maybe I should look somewhere else. Now, Dina, does that mean that a lot of these issues were actually there before and that the pandemic just blew the door open for some of these to rise to the top in workers' minds? Well, I think that, um, you know, the the pandemic caused individuals to sort of get introspective and think about what they wanted from an organization. I think they, um, you know, there are tons of opportunities out there. And I think that the you know, you used to hire individuals in your particular region, right? Like we were very 
historically very deliberate about having an in-office culture because we believe that that was the way for us to grow exponentially. And that's part of being part of a hyper-growth company. But I think that individuals are looking for something more from their organization. And software companies are not just hiring people in San Francisco, they're hiring people all over the, all over the U.S. And so um, the job market has expanded and individuals are asking for more from their organizations. It's one of the reasons why you know, a hybrid approach for us was really never an option because we believe that a hybrid approach leads to an inequitable experience. And it's one of the reasons why both of our founders wanted to build an equitable company for our team. So we were, we've been pretty deliberate about a digital first go forward strategy for our future of work. And while that means that remote will continue to be the primary experience, we are reconfiguring our offices to bring teams together. We're just not going to expect teams to be there Monday through Friday, and the work will dictate where they get it done. So let's pick up a couple of things you said. First of all, uh, digital first, as, as you've explained. By doing that, you've really thrown down the gauntlet. Seems a little intense, but what I mean is you, you, you have a stake in the ground. Let's face it, there are a number of companies right now saying out loud or to themselves behind closed doors, the leadership is anyway, hmm, what exactly are we going to do? How right. many people will we let be remote, if any? Will there be room? You know, there's all these questions going around, but but uh, Drift, your company, you've said, okay, we, we're, we're saying this, we're digital first. Yeah, I mean, we fit, we've we've gone through a one-way door that we can't go back through. Um, and the future of work has changed. The way that we're interacting with our customers has changed. We're doing it all over Zoom. We need to really double down on how we lead our teams in a digital-first world. It doesn't mean that we won't see each other, but we want to make sure that all of our leaders, how we're communicating in meetings, how we're getting work done, how do we measure outcome is based on a digital way of interacting with the company. So we wanted to be really deliberate about that. And we wanted people that were interviewing at Drift or our team to fully understand that they don't have to quietly ask about taking care of a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day, that that digital connection with the organization is how we're going to lead, how we're going to evaluate, and how your interaction with the organization will be. So it's allowed our people to move closer to family if that's what they wanted to do. And historically, they might have had to choose between being close to their family or getting a really great job. We also wanted to make sure that promotion and advancement is not based on who is sitting next to the other person. It's based on the work that's done. And so that 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 mentality around equity is really important. And it has been important for us to convey in this next in the, in the future of work. And Debbie, you know, just to pick up on what Dina is saying, something that I don't think can be emphasized enough, because this was at question at one point, what's come out of this are what I like to call some new truths. You don't have to be at a desk all day to be productive. And you can flex around your life instead of life around your work, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. There's a real divide right now, I think, between the perspectives of many leadership teams and the perspectives of their employees. So Dina, I mean, it's amazing to hear you talk, right? Like your leadership team is driving forward with this. But, you know, I've been really focusing on the future of work for the past 18 months. And as part of that, have spoken to hundreds of leaders. And I hear so often that leaders want to go back, that there's a big disconnect between them and their employees. And so the first need is to get on the same page. 
right, for leaders to understand that their reality, what they want, is different than their employees. And you've just got to open that dialogue. You know, people say, oh, we're worried about survey overload. On this topic, people are not over-surveyed. This is the future of their lives, as you say, and ability to fit life around work instead of vice versa. Everyone wants to talk and have conversation about it. And so we've got to get leaders and employees just more aligned about the reality of the future going forward. And then we need to focus on, you know, what Dina was saying about upskilling leaders on how do you lead distributed teams? This is new muscle. It's new muscle and you don't get in shape overnight. It takes sustained investment and, and workout. So, Brian, one of the things that struck me, there are many things that struck me about that survey that McKinsey did, was that you surveyed 5,000 corporate and government employees, and the number one fear was the same, work-life balance. That says it all, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it was interesting. We asked the employees, you know, what is your number one fear about returning to the office? And the number one fear returning to the office was work-life balance. We asked what the number one fear of staying at home was, and the number one fear was work-life balance. I think what folks are recognizing is if you're at home, some of the boundaries between work and life kind of start to disappear. You know, you become available on Zoom 24-7 because people know where you are, and people worry about, hey, how it used to be I could drive in or I could commute on the train, and I had time to gather my thoughts, have some separation between home and work. And the folks that responded, hey, what I'm worried about work-life balance at home is those boundaries have gone away and work can become endless. The flip side is people worried about work-life balance going in because, hey, it's hard to get childcare or pet care or other things. I've enjoyed being able to work from home and being able to use that commute time for other items. And so I think it's interesting when you look at both sides, it really comes back to you know, emphasizing Dean and Debbie's point, the manager. How does the manager in either setting help to communicate the work that needs to get done and help work with their employees in setting reasonable boundaries between home and work. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Brian Hancock of McKinsey, Debbie Lovich of Boston Consulting Group, and Dina Upton of Drift. We're discussing what the future of work looks like as we enter into the fall. Now, I want to pick up on something that uh, Dina brought up that I think deserves a little bit more attention, and that is uh, building in equity as these changes are happening. I mean, it's it, it's an ongoing conversation, has been, when everybody presumably was in the office uh, about equity. So how do you do it with what, for some companies, is still a work in progress as they try to determine, you know, what do they look like in the future and how they will operate. But what are some things that that needs that need to be in place to ensure that whatever form they take, equity is there? And Dina, since you raised it, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think we need to focus more on outcomes and less on time in the office. I also think, uh, as the other uh, individuals had said, we need to make sure that we're, we're training our leaders, right? Like we can write all this down. We can say we want to make sure we're creating an equitable organization. We're onboarding everybody in the right way. But the real driver is that of that is your, um, your manager. And so managers need to be equipped on how to ensure that they're not biasing that person uh, that's 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 speaking up really loudly on a Zoom call, that they're making sure that the quiet 
engineer's opinion and voice is heard. And so it requires a different type of leader. The, you know, the interesting thing in the, it's a lot easier to go walk over to somebody and ask their opinion on something. It's harder to do that in a virtual setting. So you have to plan. Preparation is key, um, especially in a digital first world. It's harder. It's harder to create collisions in the virtual office. Our leaders have to be trained on how to do that. I think it starts there. All right, Debbie. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I would say that, and so many have commented on this, that COVID has created more equity. It has created more of a level playing field because it's harder to be the loudest person on Zoom than it is to be the loudest person in a meeting. Because you know, as someone facilitating a meeting or conducting a meeting, back to what we've been saying about upskilling managers, you can go around the Hollywood squares or Brady Bunch or whatever you wanna call it on the Zoom. People who are not comfortable speaking can put their comments in the chat. You know, We could put in norms like raising hands. And so I'd say that remote interactions have already created a much more level playing field. And then considering the model going forward, if you're not as future uh, thinking as, as Dina is, and her team, we have to recognize, and we've done research, BCG is a founding member of something called the Future Forum with, with Slack and multiple other organizations. And we've done research that shows Black employees are like 10% or more um, likely to want to stay with the remote model than white employees because it works for them better. They're more comfortable in that setting than full-time in an office setting. And we have new research coming out being released, I think, in a week and a half or so that, um, that shows the same thing. So I'd say, you know, staying with a lot of what has actually worked effectively in the last 18 months is part of creating that equity. And as you started off, not not going back. And let me just add, there's also little things too. You know, a great example of just leveling the playing field between the hierarchy is I saw Telstra, a company in Australia, up the leaders, the executives updated their web page where they just showed, you know, this is our leadership team from stuffy people in suits and offices to people in casual clothes working from home on their iPads. Like even little symbols like that help level the playing field a bit. Hmm. Brian, what say you? I think there is the importance of intentionality behind managers and companies, you know, thinking through and being intentional in making sure that people that work remotely have the same development opportunities, have the same footing and performance reviews, have the same consideration for the next job or promotion as folks that come in more frequently. I mean, just amplifying what Debbie said, you know, we've seen that parents of kids under the age of 18, only 8% want to come back to the office full-time. For people that don't have kids under the age of 18, they're three times as more likely to want to come into the office more often. And so we're seeing that you know different segments of population, some of the diverse segments prefer to be home more frequently than others. And so let's just be intentional at every step of the way, whether it's looking at that next school assignment or the next promotion, You know, let's just be intentional about making sure that the people that aren't in the offices frequently get the equal shot. And I do note that your survey also said only 2% of graduating seniors wanted 100% remote work because, as your survey indicated, they don't know the culture of the company. So they want an opportunity to know that somehow. Exactly. I mean, that, and that's something that we're definitely, you know, seeing and feeling as folks that are right out of college 
they're looking for apprenticeship. They're looking for the kinds of connections that when not done well remotely, kind of leave folks feeling not connected to their company and not really feeling developed. So I think there is, we are seeing if some of the more recent graduates, you know, a focus that they want to develop and learn and grow with the company. And their instinct is, hey, to do that, I need to come in. In environments that are more remote than not, I think there's some real intentionality behind how are we upskilling, how are we apprenticing, how are we building those people and bringing them in to our culture and our organization. So I'm going to start with a question to you, Brian, that I want all of you to answer. And it may be a little bit outside of your bailiwick, but I'd love to get your response. And that is what we're talking about in general now are, you know, white collar workers, office based workers, whatever. But what happens in these settings often spills down to other spaces, other kinds of work that are not in the office. So I'm wondering, since we're talking about the future of work, not the future of some work, what you think may be the implications or the new realities for different kinds of work outside of the office based on what's definitely happening um, in this white collar space. And, and so, Brian, if you would start. You know, I think there is something, if you think about uh, organizations that have broad distributed frontline workforces, retailers, hospitals, other folks where those people on the front lines have been showing up every day during the pandemic. You know, those folks are going to want to feel like, hey, I'm on equal footing with people elsewhere in the organization. Why do I have to show up remotely when you know, the folks in the home office don't. And I think the key here is being very clear and explaining and communicating across the organization, hey, we're all focused on getting the job done the way we need to get it done. And highlighting to folks in the remote environment, hey, this actually gives you more opportunity to connect with people that may now, instead of all being in a room together in headquarters, maybe from their own home. So it's putting us in more equal footing and explaining how, the remote change can be useful and helpful in the front line and also explain the intentionality behind why different types of work require a uh, different presence. Um, if you would pick up from that, Debbie. Absolutely. I love that you asked this question as well, because <laughs> not all the workforce is knowledge workers. And, you know, definitely agree with Brian on the intentionality. I would also add another imperative to broaden our thinking on what the future of work is. It is not just about remote work or not. And again, our research, um, both the stuff we've done independently at BCG and with Future Forum shows that employees value flex in time more, much more than they value flex in place. So what employees experience wasn't just I could work from home, they experienced agency, control, real flex, both in time and place, because they didn't have daycare, they had a flex, and trust and accountability. And so when you think about your location-tied workforce, you know, all the categories that Brian mentioned, you can offer a future of work that's better than the past, thinking about how to use time differently, thinking how to broaden out jobs, right? At the beginning of covid we shifted people from retail stores into call centers or from one factory line to another based on demand. And what happened, right? People just learned more, they grew, they brought in their network, 
and talent was used more effectively. Well, why not keep more flex in what a job experience is as well? So I think if you um, both intentionally and take a broader view, there's a lot about the future of work that can apply to different types of workforce, just not in the same way. Dina. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's it's allowed flexibility or that in, intentional mind. For, we have a we have a handful of individuals that drift. Our facilities manager, our office managers that do physically need to be in the office, but they have a ton more flexibility than they did before, because their customer, our internal drifters, are not using the space as much. But they can they can arrive early. They can leave later. So there's flexibility there. So they're getting some of the benefits that the rest of the organization is getting. So it's trickling down into how they work. Another question to all of you, I'll start with you, Debbie, this time. Is this a most powerful time for employees? And do you expect that to last beyond, I don't know, a year? So it is a most powerful time because of all the labor shortages. And and those labor shortages get more severe in certain industries. You know, like tech workers, it's much worse, short for digital talent. So I would say There is power in the hand of employees like there never was before. I hope, you know, I don't have a crystal ball for the future. I hope we actually use this time to change the dynamic. So it's not an us versus them, employer versus an employee, but rather a coming together where let's all create the future of work together. We need one another. Let's, let's recognize we have different experiences and truths and opinions, but let's co-create the future together that we all want. And if you can make the culture feel like one team, then your question of what's the power dynamic in the future going to be will hopefully become irrelevant or at least less relevant. Mm. Brian? I think one of the things that we're seeing is employees taking a step back and saying, what is my personal purpose and how does it align to the organizations I'm working with? And having employees step back and thinking through what is my career and how do I develop over time? One thing from our future of work research has shown that about one in five workers of the U.S. workforce may need to transition to jobs and new occupations between now and 2030 as a result of technology, changing consumer demand, and other shifts. The future of work is going to look different, and therefore, the mix of occupations is going to look different. And I think we have employees now that are looking at this and saying, hey, in a world where the world of work is changing, let me take a step back and let me figure out you know, what aligns with my purpose and where can I go where I can develop? And so in that way, I do think this is a moment where employees are taking that time to be deliberate about where they go next and are looking for the types of companies and the types of opportunities that will let them be more fulfilled and let them advance over the course of their career. Dina. Yeah, I think that great organizations have always had this focus. It's a reciprocal relationship, right? Like our commitment to our people is that we're going to make them more marketable and then they're going to help us become more marketable. And so I think the organizations that have been historically doing this well are accelerating right now because there's so many options for um, candidates. And so the demand on ensuring wherever, whatever organization they join is is adding to the novel of themselves and building the skill sets. And so I think it's it's good for both sides. It pushes an organization to make sure they're re-recruiting their people on a daily basis. And then it ensures that the real stuff about culture, skill development, manager development, 
um, opportunities, international expansion, those are the things that we're talking about now. We're not talking about a foosball table because you're not even really going into the office and we're not talking about snacks in the office. We're talking about re real career development. So those organizations that are focused in on the real stuff about culture are at an advantage. I like that re-recruiting people on a daily basis. That is really quite something to think about. Now, all of you in your conversations uh, with my producer prior to this, this conversation mentioned two words, collaboration and innovation. And I'd like each of you to speak to what you think that's going to look like as best as you can <laughs> come up with. And I know you're not crystal ball people, but from what you know, from where you sit at this point, Brian, I'll start with you. I think when I think about collaboration innovation, and I think about that in a world of more remote work where some people are coming into the office on occasion, the way I like to think about it is the office is the new offsite. So when you come into the office, that is a time to be deliberate in how you're collaborating. It is not the time to come in, say hi, grab your coffee, and sit in the corner and do emails. If we're going to be together in the office, let's make sure we have the space, both physically and the space as a team, to do the things that we can uniquely do together, to collaborate and to think through you know, what the next horizon of ideas are. And I think that needs to be complemented with a view of you know, being very intentional as a manager, what connections need to be made outside of my group. One piece of research we saw over the course of the pandemic is that actually communications within immediate teams went up, but communications across silos went down dramatically. And I think one of the things that managers are going to need to do, in addition to making sure that the on-site work of their team is good, is going to need to make sure that they're building the bridges to other parts of the organization going forward. Debbie. Yeah, you know, so many people ask, well, what happens to collaboration and innovation over the pandemic when we are remote, right? Does it stop? And we've seen so much innovation this past year and a half, so much innovation of new ways to serve customers and get work done. Um, one of the SVPs at, at Kroger told me we were on a panel together and she said, um, COVID has been our chief innovation officer, mm. you know, everything they came up with um, to better serve customers in the, in the supermarkets and serve seniors in early hours and provide community and digital and E and everything. So um, I think it's a misconception that innovation didn't happen. I think if anything, innovation has been accelerated. We also have data from very early research we did last summer that we asked people two questions. One, how collaborative do you think you've been during COVID as compared to before, you know, less, same, or more? And then we also asked, how satisfied are you with a number of different dimensions um, at work? And the highest correlation with productivity and collaboration was how socially connected I feel to my colleagues. So I was saying to people after I saw the data that people who felt socially connected to colleagues were three times, three times more likely to say they felt their collaboration was as good, if not better than before COVID. And so I said, if you do nothing else, spend time to teach your leaders how to build social connection remotely. It's doable. Um, it's just not natural for everyone. So there's so much we could do, but we've got to really embrace the new tools and be intentional about upskilling all of us. And Dina. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of what has been said. I think creativity happens in many different places now. Like your most creative moment could be on a run 
It could be outside your home office, but that idea of productivity and creativity happening in an office is now gone because our offices are all over the place, wherever we are. And so I think it's forced us to get out of our normal habits and think about things in a different way. So it's accelerated innovation. And I think a lot of what has been said about being intentional, intentional around how we collaborate, when we do bring teams together, it's all about relationship building. It's all about connections and understanding individuals. And so I think the idea of having a different quote unquote office um, and asynchronous communication and the way that we're connecting with each other, it's forced us all to think in a different way. Wow. What a great conversation about the future of work. I'm actually excited after talking to all three of you. It's a really fertile time. So thank you so much for talking to me. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Brian Hancock is global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice. Debbie Lovich is managing director and senior partner of Boston Consulting Group. Dina Upton is chief people officer at Drift, a software company with Boston headquarters that is fully embracing the remote work lifestyle. Coming up, enjoying the work-from-home lifestyle, so much so that you would switch jobs to make it last? Surveys show that many folks are indeed willing to quit to find remote work elsewhere. Will employers change work traditions to keep their talent? That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Callie Crossley.